Welcome to the Nurse Becoming podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri from the Resume RX, and this is the podcast that's dedicated to empowering and encouraging nurses along your path of professional and self discovery. As a nurse practitioner, mom, and business owner, I'm on a mission to help you figure out how to leave your lasting impact on the world, all while bravely and fearlessly growing along the way. Join me for honest conversations and inspiring stories about personal and professional growth, all through the lens of nursing. Hey there, welcome back to the Nurse Becoming podcast. You are listening to episode number 11, and I'm your host, Amanda Guarneri. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am very excited to introduce to you a guest interview with Liz Rohr from Real World NP. Liz and I are kind of business besties, I guess you could say. She and I both serve nurse practitioners in our businesses um, in very different but complementary ways. And today in this interview, we are really unpacking the idea of mentorship and support for new graduates, um, specifically new graduate nurse practitioners. So we talk a little bit about um, kind of what we see the problems are when it comes to mentorship or lack thereof and kind of what new nurse practitioners can do to prepare for the transition to practice. Because she and I have both gone through this. Granted, it was, you know, years ago, but we both have experienced Um, a transition that could have been better, that we could have kind of identified earlier on. So we're going to unpack that a little bit in this episode and talk about the different types of mentorship opportunities that you as a new graduate can seek out. Because ultimately, you know, a big takeaway from this interview is that we want you to feel empowered to identify when there's a problem or identify when you need support and kind of step in your power to solve it. So we don't want you to feel like you have to be a victim of your circumstance. We want you to feel empowered to ask for what you need when it comes to support. So we really unpack that a lot more in this episode. So um, we're going to get right into it. As always, if you want to connect with our guest today, you can head to the show notes for this episode for links to Liz's website and her YouTube channel and her Instagram. All of that will be in the show notes. Uh, So I can't wait for you to get to meet Liz. So let's dive right in. I am here with Liz Rohr from Real World NP, and I'm super excited to have her here on the podcast so that we can talk all about support and mentorship, specifically for new grad nurse practitioners. So hey, Liz, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. So the funny thing is, and I don't know if it's funny, but Liz and I talk all day, pretty much. We, talk back and forth. <laughs> we text back and forth. We talk on Boxer back and forth. So it feels kind of funny to talk to you more formally, knowing that other people are, are listening. But just think of it as, you know, everyone gets to have a window into, into the world. Into our daily chats. Into our daily chats. Exactly. Um, so Liz, I obviously know you really well, but for my listeners who aren't familiar with you, can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about how you serve the nursing community. Yeah. So I'm a family nurse practitioner. I've been in practice since 2015. So coming up on five years, which is really exciting. 
And when I was about three and a half years into practice, I left my last clinic job and decided to start the website realworldnp.com, which is um, just a website to kind of help bridge that gap between new grad and real world practice of like all the things that we kind of want to know a little bit more about and then just kind of providing more support for that transition of practice for nurses becoming nurse practitioners. Awesome. And and one thing that's really great about your content is that you cover a wide variety of clinical topics. Oh, yeah. Um, it's my favorite. Yeah, it's definitely your bread and butter. You're kind of, you know, we joke that you're the jelly to my peanut butter or something yes. because I like to cover all the professional and personal topics, whereas Liz is really the go-to person when it comes to clinical topics. So I want to know, and I'm not sure that we've ever really talked about this, but I want to know more about kind of your personal transition from student to practice and maybe how it's influenced the creation of your business. Yeah, absolutely. So I became a nurse first. I was a nurse for about um, five years when I, before I went back for my master's. And then I became a nurse practitioner and I went right into community health, uh, family practice. And I had a really amazing set of coworkers and um, my supervisor was great too. My chief medical officer, my medical director were all really great, but their transition to practice was just so, so rocky. I just felt like, what did I get myself into? And like, just my first year, I mean, I hesitate to talk about how hard it was because I don't want to scare people, but I just feel like that's my whole thing is that I'm just trying to be real is that like, it was really, really tough. I mean, I lost 10 pounds unintentionally because I was so stressed out, but yeah, it was a lot of just constant learning. Like I just, you know, I went into clinic early for like an hour early. I stayed the whole day. I stayed an hour or two late. Yeah. And then I, I was very lucky to have uh, one of my colleagues who's actually only had one more year of practice above me um, as a nurse practitioner kind of was a real advocate for me in a lot of ways, because not that I, I just think the transition of practice is really clinic life is so busy. Right. And not everybody's thinking about that necessarily. Like there are more like NP, like residency type of programs now, but like everyone's moving so fast, seeing so many patients, they're not necessarily thinking about like, how are the ways that we can like support our brand new nurse practitioners or what do they need? And so one of my colleagues helped to advocate for me to advocate for myself, basically to ask for um, someone to meet with basically like a nurse practitioner who had experience. And I met with her once a week for about an hour. And that was just really, really transformational for me because it was just so like, I could get all my questions out all those things, those like backlogged questions that like I couldn't find the answers in a textbook kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, it was all clinical judgment, clinical practice. And then I just, yeah, it was just like even things that I thought I had quote like figured out, like it was just a lot to like trust myself in that. And so there was a lot of like personal growth and development doing that too, for sure. And did you feel, did you feel like it was an issue of expectations? Like I'm trying to think, do you, looking back in hindsight, do you feel like there was something differently you could have done in preparation as a student that would have made that transition easier? Or was it just going to be that way regardless and you found a better way to get through it? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really hard. And I think about this a lot because I, I've been precepting students basically since I was a nurse practitioner for about six months, just because I inherited a student because somebody left. But I, I just, I constantly think about this and it might get a little bit, uh, we could get, we could get into this, but I think that there are some, people have some feelings about nurse practitioner education, right? And they think about like, have some critiques of programs and what they could include and what they should include. And then there's also the other side of it where I think that people are kind of too intense about that. And they're not necessarily recognizing that that trans transition to practice 
comes with MDs, NPs, DOs, PAs, that mm-hmm. whole thing. So, so it's really hard. I mean, I think that, I think the thing that I see the most actually is that nurse practitioner students are really, really working so hard and they're so dedicated and they kind of like don't give themselves enough credit or enough space. And they're kind of constantly like feeling like they're behind the ball and like, they're always like working and working and working and working. So, so yeah, it's not necessarily about like doing more. I think it's, I think it is a little bit of an expectation. And I mean, that's why I'm a super advocate, um, of people getting some sort of mentorship and advocating for themselves if they're not, because I'm trying to kind of give them what I received as a gift myself, you know, of like, you deserve this support. And like, here's one way to do it, you know? I mean, I'm trying my best to make the transition easier by filling in a lot of the clinical gaps, but it's, I I feel definitely torn about this, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think we, you and I have both talked about this and acknowledged the fact that, you know, our, our businesses basically exist to help ease that transition from student to practice because we both recognize that there are, I don't want to say that there are flaws but that there is room for improvement when it comes to supporting new nurse practitioners. And I think it sounds like the opportunity that you were able to get was kind of a, um, a natural born mentorship, um, experience. So I was hoping that we could kind of talk about the different types of, uh, mentorship experiences, because, you know, for anyone who's an NP student or a new graduate, NP who's looking for this type of support, it can look different. You know, it can be provided by your employer. It could be something you seek out on your own. So what are like some of the different ways that you see new NPs being able to find that type of support and mentorship? Yeah, there are just so many ways. I mean, I think that there are nurse practitioner residency programs, right? Where that's a specific, if your listeners aren't familiar, like you can apply to a program and there's getting more and more of them now where it's like a year long program or a two year long program. And they kind of have a similar format where you get into either a group, a cohort of um, new nurse practitioners, you have like classes that go along with it. You meet together to talk about cases, things like that. You have like an attenuated schedule or reduced schedule um, so that you don't have to see as many patients. You get more time. I think another thing I was really lucky to have um, is that my boss was very understanding. So not only were they accommodating to block my schedule during the day for an hour to have those um, once a week to have those mentoring conversations, but they also had a really kind of slower ramp up process where I had enough time to kind of get my bearings underneath me for a couple of months. Yeah. And then there's different mentoring, at least what I've discovered, you know, there's paid mentoring, there's free mentoring. There's a couple of different groups that do it. There's this program called Maven. Um, I'd love to give a shout out to them and they work, um, it's expert physicians who are retired, who are like volunteering their time basically to mentor. And it's a program that uh, federally qualified health centers can apply to and like rural health and things like that. I mean, there's just so many options. Like you can find people through nurse practitioner groups and stuff on Facebook and, and things like that. But I think it's, everyone brings a different level of commitment, right? So like, it, it's hard. There's a lot of, there's, there are a lot of options, but it's kind of, it's hard to pick sometimes. And I think like yeah. the main thing for nurse practitioner residencies is the main issue that I've seen is that like, you might have to take a pay cut or you might have to move or they're competitive, you know, but there's also some online stuff. There's a lot of options, but yeah, there, are definitely, <laughs> there are definitely a lot of options. And I think that, you know, one of the main points that I think you and I would both like to make is that we want new NPs to be aware of these options mm-hmm. and to be proactive in seeking them out yeah. because a lot of times this is not this is not going to be something like you were very fortunate 
to have the experience that you did. And I wouldn't say that it like fell into your lap, but it was kind of like it happened out of well, yeah, I had encouragement. Yeah. Like right. I had people telling me, like, this is what you should do. I was exactly. just like, Christina, like, I'm so overwhelmed. And she's like, Well, are you meeting with somebody? <laughs> like, right. I didn't know. Yeah. And I think that if we can help like set that expectation early, it can be something that, you know, ideally is negotiated or discussed before someone even accepts a job. And, you know, these mentoring relationships can develop naturally, you know, with someone that you work with in the clinic setting or someone that you know from, you know, some other connection. You can certainly hire someone to be a paid mentor who you can meet with. And there's also, you know, a lot of power in having a peer group, you know, like let's say your cohort of graduates, you all graduate together. And, you know, let's say you form a group and you set like a standing, you know, once a month Zoom chat or even in-person chat, if you're all local to one another, I think that there's a lot of power in kind of collective experience when it comes to going through that transition. And that's part of what's really valuable about the residency programs. I used to be on faculty at a residency program back in my previous institution, and we started, it was an ER residency program. And what we noticed was before we had established the residency, the new grads were not being successful. There was really high turnover, really high burnout, especially in emergency medicine, which is a very high-paced environment that not all NPs are prepared for in school. Like even six-month orientation programs were not setting them up for success. So once we had established this program, it really, really helped with retention and satisfaction. And yeah, and, and a huge portion of it was just like a weekly informal meeting. And yes. a small group, you know, four residents who would get together and basically just like hash out how they were feeling about the week. Sometimes they would present cases, but it was very informal. It wasn't like formal case presentation, didactic stuff every single week. It was like, it was a social time, but with people who were going through the same thing so that they could share that experience. And like just that one hour a week, you know, as an observer, because I got to be there, felt so powerful in their growth in the role. Because then, you know, the faculty, we were kind of on the periphery as facilitators and just kind of like guiding the conversation. But all of it was, you know, all that growth happened, you know, just through the peers being together, which I feel was so, so valuable and kind of under underrated. Like, I'm not sure that new grads realized that they could just you could just that. do this. Yes. Do it. Like two things. One is that I am in a lot of Facebook groups online, which, you know, um, and I do a lot of, I ask a lot of questions. I I'm curious. I'm like, I'm kind of obsessed with like this transition to practice and how, where people are at and all this stuff. And I had asked a question a couple of months back about like, if you had done a nurse practitioner residency and all, and like, would you do it? Or like, what did you like about it? I can't remember what the question was, but basically the feedback was like, it was, it was all about that. Like that was the best part. And for me, the same, so I actually worked with two Christinas when I first started working, Christina, uh, my mentor who had a year more of experience. And then another Christina who worked at the um, same day, who started the same day I did as a brand new grad. And like when Christina, like the mentor had her day off, my peer Christina and I would just be like, what do you think? (laughs) You know, like, what do you think? And so we would just kind of like try to figure it out. And that was so helpful. And then when I had a couple of years there, um, there was another kind of cohort of new grads that came through that all started around the same time. And they had those weekly meetings too. And they found that that was just really, really helpful. And I think just like having those close knit, like 
coworker settings, even if they're not new grads with you, like that is so supportive. And like, I'm, I, I'm so glad we're talking about this because this is something that is accessible, like so completely accessible, something that somebody can do for themselves, you know, because I, I feel like there's so much frustration and powerlessness sometimes that come into being a new grad. And like, this is completely within your power, especially if you're talking about like you're graduating in P class. Like, I don't know. My school was like, we all loved each other. I mean, maybe not hundred percent, but you know, those, yeah. those are out there. Yeah, definitely. And and I think, you know, a, a big thing that overshadows new grads is this imposter syndrome. And I think it's really easy to become a victim of your mindset in that sense. You know, imposter syndrome is a very real thing, but sometimes you need to very intentionally take back control of something in order to push through something that's uncomfortable. And I feel like, you know, setting up a peer group is something super easy that anybody could do to really kind of, like you said, kind of like step into that power of taking control over the situation because it's so, so easy to just kind of fall in this negative feedback loop of, you know, negativity essentially about like, woe is me, things are miserable, I can't do anything to change it. And then it just kind of spirals um, out of control. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think that like, sometimes it blows my mind. And again, maybe it's just because I'm like obsessed with this problem and, and serving the, those communities that I serve, but people will post things and be like, I thought it was just me. And I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what have you been in this Facebook group for? Unfortunately, it's like, there's a very specific transition in the practice that that happens with like imposter syndrome and like I don't know, just like I can use the, like people use the same words even, you know? So it just breaks my heart when people don't see that. And like that community is so accessible. Yeah, for sure. And I think this is a good segue to this. You sent me a screenshot the other day from one of the, um, one of these groups that we are mutually in where we, you know, try to help facilitate positive conversations and spread resources the best that we can. Um, And so you took a screenshot of this post in a Facebook group and it says, I'm a new grad leaving a job after three months. It's not at all what they promised. I'm seeing 20 patients a day, no time to chart, some ethical issues, the way they treat patients. I have a contract obligation to stay 90 days. I will have six months experience by then. If anyone has a similar situation, what did you do in the future? Why did, you know, explaining why you left? Et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, you know, we laughed not out of making fun of the individual, but yeah, no, out, of, out, of like, out of like pain, pain and frustration. Yeah. And <laughs> the fact that we, we see and hear this message so often that it is, it is literally like the sole thing that we are both trying yeah. to. It was like a meme. Prevent. I mean, it was like a literal, yeah. like you could just copy and paste this and this has been posted so many times and it's, mm-hmm. and it's just heartbreaking. And it's like the thing you just have to laugh about so you don't cry. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's horrible. It's a horrible experience. So in your opinion, like what can somebody do <laughs> to, first of all, let's talk about like, what could somebody do not to get to this point? Like how could this situation, what are the points where there could be prevention? of this. Yeah. Well, I mean, first of all, your business exists for this reason, which is what I shared in my stories. I don't know. I think that you and I are in similar situations in some ways because we are so aware and so passionate about it. And yet we're still feeling like we're not necessarily reaching people, right? 
I, I think it's just that I think it's the information is out there. And I think it's just like making sure that people like know that this is a thing to kind of prepare for is like, you know, it's, it's brand new. Like this is not like applying as a nurse, you know, this is not applying for any, basically any other job in my life. This is completely different. And there's negotiation, there's contracts, there's, there's like a whole process of onboarding. There's credential. It's like, it's like a whole thing. So I think that if people can acknowledge that this is going to be a very different transition and just kind of prepare themselves with like the resources that are out there, free, paid, any of that stuff, like, you know, people that they know, like, they can just acknowledge that this is different and learn what's different and then do their best to kind of like look out for those pitfalls and, and practice those things. Then like, they're going to be in a much better place, I think. Yeah, definitely. I, well, I And I think, well, one other thing I want to add is you and I talk about this a lot. There is so much mindset involved and like we're deep in it. So I know, but like <laughs> there in this, this also breaks my heart a lot. And and I talk about with a lot of the, I, I work with some, some, I mentor some people one-on-one and that's like one of the huge things about this transition to practice is that it's not just clinical. It's like who you are and like Mm -hmm. your new brand new role of being the person at the end of the line. Like they're going to come to you. You're sitting at your desk and the front desk is going to come to you and say, the lab has, has an issue with this, or this patient has an issue with this. And that's you. Like it's, there's nobody else. Like I would look around and be like, wait, where's the doctor? And it's me. (laughs) literally me. So it's like, there's that. And then you're supervising people. Like there's like, this is just like a whole thing, you know? So I think it's like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of self-belief that needs to go into it too. Right. And so it's like, it's, you need to like, know that you're worth it, believe that you're worth it, or at least work on that and then get the tools that you need to make sure that you're not in those situations, you know, which is very yeah. easy for us to talk about, to talk about all the time, but. Right. I know. <laughs> I think that like, there's, there, there are opportunities to use these tools and resources to prevent yourself from getting into a really bad spot, like prevent yourself from taking a bottom of the barrel job with unethical expectations that where everyone is overworked and underpaid and their turnover is three months for an NP. Like there are some, and you and I I have talked about this, like there are red flags that you can pick up on in advance to make sure that you don't continue down the path of the hiring process with a job that looks like this or like Um, have a contract like like I talked to some I got a d I got so many dms after I posted that and people were like telling me about horrible things and I was like well is it in your contract and they're like what Mm -hmm. (laughs) seriously it's so sad it's so sad I know and I I feel like so not only can you be more mindful about your job search strategy and make sure that you are interviewing every job that you go on an interview for, like making sure that you're paying attention to these things. And then beyond that, making sure that if you decide to move forward, that you are negotiating for the time, you know, orientation time, you're negotiating, like it's in your contract, how many patients you're going to start seeing and, you know, how quickly they're going to escalate you and how much admin time you're going to get. Like, these are all things that are in your power to decide. Um, So that's kind of like, I feel like my neck of the woods is like, all that pre stuff, right? Like how do you make sure that you are vetting every opportunity and negotiating for what you want and making sure that you're being selective with the job that you choose. And then I feel like on your end, it's kind of like, because even if you find the perfect job, like you're still going to have that role transition. There's no perfect job that's going to protect you from that. And I I think that's where like the expectations come in and then kind of like, I feel like your resources and the things that you provide 
and the mentorship discussion that we're having right now is like what happens after you start the job, even if it's the perfect job, you're still going to have to actively, you know, go through this transition and you're still going to, exactly, you're going to have imposter syndrome and you're going to need some sort of support. So it's like, do you decide what support you want and need ahead of time? Maybe, but more likely you're going to be in the job working and realize I need help. Hello, my friend. How are you today? We have been talking all about new grads here on the Nurse Becoming podcast. And specifically, we've been focusing our message towards new grad nurse practitioners. And this makes me so happy. I love that I get to support you throughout your nursing journey. And, you know, nurse practitioners are a little bit near and dear to my heart because I am one. And speaking of new nurse practitioners, I have created a three-day online boot camp that is going to be super helpful for all of you NP students and new NPs that are listening and getting ready to start the job search. We are going to be covering some essential topics for new NPs as you get ready to start your search. And this is going to be over three days in a live stream format. So you will get to be there with me. You can ask me questions and I'm going to teach you something new every day so that you can really feel prepared to conquer this next new phase in your career. So the first day we're going to talk about oversaturation and some mindset things. The next day we will talk more about your job search strategy in particular. And third day we are going to talk about what you need to do to prepare your resume and your cover letter. This boot camp is totally free, by the way. I was going to charge for it, decided that you really needed this for free. So to sign up, you can go to the resumerx.com slash bootcamp. You can sign up again, totally free. I am so looking forward to seeing you there and helping you through these struggles. So let's get you ready for your job search and transition to practice together. And so what do you feel like is the first step for that person who is practicing? They've taken the job, whether it's, you know, their dream job, whether it's kind of just a stepping stone job, if they feel like they're not supported, what's the first thing to do? Yeah. I mean, I think like, actually, this is one of the DMs that I got. She was like, she's so sweet. She's basically getting paid per patient. Like, mm. like only if the patient arrives, she's only getting paid a certain amount and she isn't getting enough support. She's seeing too many people. And she was like, the first thing I did was like, I thought of you. And then you posted the story. It was like me. It was, yeah, I was, I was very touched, but I, I feel very sad for her. But I think the first step is to speak up. It comes back to you believing that you're worth it and you deserve it. And I think that I only felt like that because I had somebody who was like, no, listen, you need this. You need to yeah. do this, you know, like this is what you need to ask for. This is, this is reasonable and you should have blocked time for it. Not everybody's going to accommodate that. And you have to do some negotiation and like all that stuff. But I think that there needs to be some like firmness of belief and like, that's reasonable to ask for and it's worth doing, you know, but I, I think it depends like if it's unethical or not. Right. And are you compromising your license? Because those are situations you really want to get out of quickly. And I also acknowledge that it's very hard if you're the sole provider for your family, right? Definitely. You t- it took you a year to find this job you know? Um, so I definitely have a lot of empathy for that situation, but yeah, I think it is, I think it has to do with speaking up. And then at least that was, that is the only paradigm that I have is that somebody kind of took me under their wing and told me what to do. And so that's what I'm trying to do and like tell people, but there's other ways to do it, but I just feel like that is such a good model. And then like that peer group, like you were talking about, like, that would be amazing to just start, you know, 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like, you know, one of the most valuable qualities, I think, in a new graduate um, or actually, you know, any healthcare provider or any person actually is to be able to say that you don't know, Mm -hmm. to be able to say like, okay, I confidently know what I know and I confidently know what I don't know. And I'm willing to say like, I don't know, I need to look this up. Like that's very admirable. And I think that along the same lines, being able to say, I can't do this and I need help. Yes. Um, There is so much fear and weakness and unworthiness attached Mm -hmm. to saying that, but really what it is, is pushing through something that's difficult and uncomfortable and bravely saying that you need support and help. So I think that, you know, it would be really easy to talk yourself out of asking for help. And then you end up kind of putting up with, you end up sacrificing, you know, parts of yourself Yourself. in order to to make it work. hard as, as caregivers, like nurse practitioners are nurses and we're caregivers and we want to help everybody. Right. I can even touch into my own new grad self of feeling like I'll just, I'll just put up with it. Like I'm lucky to have this job versus like where I am now. I'm not gonna, yeah, like I, maybe I'm a diva, but I'm just like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna see like 45 patients a day. I'm not even going to see more than 20, you know, like I'm cool. I'm chilling with 20 right now. You know, I'm not going to see 30. I'm just not going to do it. (laughs) And you know, you can feel, you can feel too emotions at the same time. You can feel fortunate and grateful to have Mm -hmm. employment and also feel like you're not being treated correctly. Like one does not have to negate the other, but I feel like sometimes we're like, oh, I don't want to, I will feel guilty if I seem ungrateful because I'm so grateful to be employed in a time when, you know, the market is difficult or, you know, people are being laid off or whatever it is. You are allowed to feel both of those emotions, like both of those things are independently valid. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, and I feel like that's, that's a hard shift to get over is to feel like, okay, if I speak up and say that I'm not satisfied, it's taking away from my gratitude for employment or um, whatever that is. And it's hard because like, I think the other part of it is, is that healthcare is a business, right? And like, I totally empathize. And I think that that empathy comes a lot for nurse practitioners as well of just like feeling so empathetic for how other people are feeling. Right. And Mm -hmm. at least for me, like I could recognize, I can recognize from my chief medical officer's perspective, from my CEO's perspective, we need to see patients. Like that is how a clinic makes money is when providers see patients. That's like 70% of our revenue. 30% is the other from like grants and stuff. Cause I work in an FQHC and maybe that's the case for private practices too. But like, I have a lot of empathy for that. But at the same time, like the goal, I think most clinics are looking for somebody that they can train, they can support, they can help grow. And who's going to stay there for a long time. I mean, who knows? I can't speak for everybody, but I don't, I don't think that they're in it to hire somebody for a year and then they leave. Right. Right, They have a vested interest because it takes so much money to train somebody. Like, I think there's some stat about nurses, like a brand new RN is like $90,000 to train a new nurse. Right. Mm -hmm. And I imagine it's very similar for nurse practitioner, you know? Yeah, definitely. I think there's, you know, a good period of time where you as an NP are not yet profitable to the practice. Yeah. Um, And I feel like that time frame is at least six months, if not Um, if not longer. And, you know, what I really struggle with, with our profession in general and how we're paid and how the business of healthcare is, I feel like it's really easy to internalize that your worth is 
connected to your productivity. Yes. Um, which is, you know, a message that I've heard in all different circles, personal development circles and, you know, motherhood circles, like oh, your yeah. worth is not tied to how many of the chores you get done or how much laundry you get done. Like from a motherhood perspective, like you are worthy regardless of how much you do. Yeah. And I feel like in a career, in a profession where our literal monetary worth mm -hmm. is tied to our productivity, yes. like, it's, it's so hard not to internalize that. Oh my God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think like it, it depends like, and this may be getting nitty gritty, but like in a private practice in some ways, or, or in an FQHC setting, we have mostly Medicaid insurance. And so literally we are paid per person basically that we see. And it doesn't matter how sick they are versus how well they are versus in some other settings, depending on the billing codes, you might be able to get reimbursed more. And like that is different, but, but yeah, I mean, regardless of whatever setting you're talking about, it's definitely like a benchmark of <laughs> how you've, and like they report stats, you know, like I get yeah. my stats of how many patients I've seen and what my no-show rate is and how my screw, my quality measures are and all that stuff. So there's definitely a lot of, you have to do a lot of your own mental work there for sure. Yeah, definitely. And coming back to the things that a new grad could do when they're um, like when they notice that they're in a situation where they need support, you know, I think that we talked about like reaching out to peers can be really helpful. And the fact that you had that coworker who, you know, was able to process this with you and say, you know, are you getting support? This is something that you need. You need to ask for this. I think that it drives home the point that you need to have some sort of support network that of people who are not directly responsible for your employment. Like, yeah. Um, so someone who's either a colleague in the sense that they're not, you don't directly report to them. Because I feel like in the workplace, if you're in a larger clinic setting where there are multiple advanced practice providers that, you know, those people could be kind of the perfect people to be your support network if you trust yeah. them and you feel like they will keep your conversations confidential. And also having, I think, a, a support group or a peer network who's like really objective and they don't work with you. I feel like yeah. that can be super helpful as yeah, well. Absolutely. And I, and I feel like it just reminds me about like the expectations and going into this, like these are conversations you can have before you accept your job. You know what I mean? You can talk about like, what is it like? Have you had new grads before? Like, have you ever worked with a nurse practitioner period before? If you're walking into that kind of situation, like you need to design this job because mm -hmm. they don't know what nurse practitioners you know, they don't know what that's like, you know, and if you can have those conversations earlier on and you have a framework of like what exactly you're looking for, it's, it's not going to be a surprise when you get started and you're like, Oh God, <laughs> yeah, <is> too much. <laughs> um, how many, how many positions have you had as an NP? I'm uh, two. two. And was there anything that you did during the hiring process for either? Like, did you, what did you learn from your first position that you took into the process the second time around? Oh my gosh. I didn't know anything. I didn't know anything for my first job. I, I applied to online postings. I went for an interview. I did terribly, but I still got hired. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, there's a contract. Oh, okay. I'll read it. Oh my gosh. So I was very lucky because I wasn't walking in. I was walking into just like a regular regular old practice, right. That just had a standard contract that was very generous. Like I had four weeks of vacation. I had, um, admin time. I had, I think six hours of admin time compared to 34 hours of working hours. 
yeah, and like in, like insurance, and there was like all this different productivity stuff in there, but it wasn't like super intense because it's federally qualified health center again. Like the productivity is, it, it depends on the clinic, but I didn't know any of that stuff basically going in, and I was very lucky that I had this kind of standard, really good deal. But going in the second time, I think that I had the luxury of a partner to fall back on for income so that I was detached from my negotiation process for my income. Mm. I was like, I just want this. <laughs> and they were like, um, no. And I was like, well, how about this? You know, and I just like, I felt very chill. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I don't really need this job. I mean, I did need the job, but I just was like way more chill about it this time. And I just was a lot more gutsy in terms of asking for what I actually wanted. And I pushed back a couple of times and it was still a federally qualified health center, which like, you know, in theory, like doesn't necessarily have a budget. Right. So, right. So, so did again, that, did that pay off? Like, did you, were you able to successfully negotiate things because you were gutsier that time? Oh yeah. So, well, my, I mean, I didn't get the the rate that I wanted, but I didn't expect it to be that high. Anyway, I, I went for basically like private practice pay and they were like, um, <laughs> I don't think so. But I, I interviewed for a full-time position and I actually, the reason I left my last job is because I was really burnt out and my, my, my clinic had really high acuity patients and this job still has high acuity patients, but they're just different. And I just, I was like, I need, I'm like, oh my God, do I have to leave nurse practitioner? Like I just was so burnt out. I didn't, I wasn't taking good care of myself. That's a long story. But anyway, so when I st- walked into this job, um, I was like interviewing for a full-time position and I actually got literal pain in my chest when I was offered the position because oh I was like, God. I can't, I can't work full-time. I can't, I can't do it. Um, <laughs> so I was like, I'll work 20 hours. And they're like, sure. So it was amazing because I just like decided what I wanted and I asked for it. I mean, but I also had way more confidence than I did. And I believed in my abilities. I knew I could hit the ground running and like, I've, I've worked in that setting before. I know the ins and outs, like I didn't need necessarily like a ton of orientation. And I knew that was to my benefit, you know? So mm. I think I knew from, I understood their perspective a little bit better about what they are looking for in a provider and like what leverage I had. Yeah, definitely. I'm wondering if at either of your um, positions, did you ever do a shadow shift? Oh yes. Oh, sorry. I meant to mention that every single time I interviewed my second time around, I didn't, I did a shadow shift at least four hours. I feel like that's the, it's the way to go. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because you can't necessarily get all the information that you want. Right. I remember taking, I've taken some, some challenging jobs in my lifetime and some of them you just can't tell. And like this one nursing position looked like a fairyland. And then I started and it was the hardest unit in the entire hospital system, but it looked oh fine because everyone, because it was so quiet when I was there because they were all <laughs> busting their butts the whole time, you know? So <laughs> if I'd done a shadow shift, they probably wouldn't have done that. Right. But yeah. one job I like had, I was so, I really, really, really negotiated, but they just couldn't do a, a less than full-time position. But that was that was amazing. And the reason I knew it was so amazing, because I did that for that shadowing. And I, and I understood what I was looking for. I knew what questions to ask about the support, like from medical assistants and like how much admin time and like the computer systems they use. I don't know, just like a lot of like nuanced things that I just didn't know the first time, you know, just from the experience of having worked. Definitely. Yeah. I feel like shadow shifts are, it's one of the top things that I recommend that everybody does to kind of feel that out. No one's ever said no. And I've been in a lot of places. And if they, if they say no, that should yeah. tell you something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Hi, I'd like to, sh- like they offer you a job or they say that you're like down to one of the last candidates and you ask to have a shadow shift and they say no, like, what does that tell you? Um, so I want to ask you if you could wave a magic wand and every 
nurse practitioner could go through some sort of transition period of time, mm. what, and you could just like dream it up. Yeah. <laughs> what would that look like to you? For in their transition to practice? Yeah. Like the solution to the problems that you see nurse practitioners going through when it comes to transition to practice and kind of learning clinical skills and that type of thing. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, I definitely think it starts with the job search process, like just educating yourself about the process and like understanding how it's different contracts, like all of that stuff. And like just getting a sense of what it's actually like to work in the clinic and like what you actually want out of that clinic and then spelling out the orientation process. And it might not be written in stone in your contract. Um, maybe it should be. I, I did not get that written down, but um, having that conversation, knowing going in, that's the story when it comes to the clinical stuff, the clinical stuff is really, really hard because like the stuff you see, it just depends on the day. And like when I, cause I work mm-hmm. with one-on-one with, with new grads and, and the questions that they have are all questions that I had as a new grad, but it's like, how do you pack all that in? I don't know. It's, it's just really tough. I mean, I think if I could wave a magic wand, I would just um, download <laughs> some knowledge into someone's brain with a cord. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I remember when I was a student, I was working one of my clinical rotations and then a former student had been working there and she just was talking about, she'd been there for about two years and she just like, I just want to download the knowledge of this MD that she was working with. And I just feel like I hear that all the time. And I feel like that sometimes, you know, yeah. I'm just, but I don't know, in terms of the clinical stuff, just, I think taking it, like, if you have a good setup in your job and you have enough space to learn, I think that's the most important part. Cause there's just, there isn't really, like, they're already working so hard as nurse practitioners and they already feel like they're behind and they're already worried about not knowing enough. But like, I think it just comes down to like having a good setup in your job so that you have enough space and time between patients and mentoring support, support at home so that you can keep like reading and reading and reading. Cause like, you're going to do a lot, you know? Yeah, definitely. That's not a very good magical one to answer. I'm a very huge pragmatist. (laughs) No, I think that that's great. And I, I, I totally agree that having the space to do the learning because we're telling you that you will need to do the learning. Your learning is not done. You have not learned, you have not learned everything in NP school. There's so much more to learn and that will be so much easier if you have the space to do it. I mean, it seems like common sense, but it's something that I feel like needs to be spelled out explicitly because. And don't um, think that you can hack it because you're really tough because I know you are. That's how I was. And oh, it just pains me when people say that. It's just like, just please trust me, please. Yeah. <laughs> Don't try yeah, to like override sure. that and take this crappy job and like, you know, like push yourself too hard because you're going to burn out. Right. And you don't yeah. want to burn out in three or six months. Right. This is a supposedly your lifetime career. Right. And yeah. Those over to so, heart centered NPs. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your, your videos and your resources and the things that you offer, I feel like are kind of like the next best thing to downloading somebody's knowledge. So, um, I'd love for you to take some time and tell us a little bit about like where people can find you and the types of resources that you offer in your business. If people want to either learn from you or work with you. Yes. I will. I was going to say that like step one in terms of the clinical transition is the lab interpretation crash course, which I'm completely, completely obsessed with. It is so, so, so good. Huge gap in knowledge, um, unfortunately for a lot of people. And this is not actually, I want to give that disclaimer again, that this is like 
MDs learn on the job too. You know, there's a lot of on the job learning, but I basically have condensed that. So that's amazing. My website is realworldnp.com. And so the lab course is on there. Also developing some other resources, uh, diabetes workshop coming up. I also have uh, free weekly YouTube videos and that's on YouTube youtube.com slash real world NP. And I do a little bit of one-on-one mentoring, um, but unfortunately the spots are a little bit limited, but yeah, all that stuff is on there. There's the ultimate resource. Actually, the first place to start would probably be the ultimate resource guide for the new NP. Cause I feel like that's like the first question that people have, like, what are the resources that you go to? And so that's why I made that guide. Um, and that's at real world slash guide. I'm, I'm throwing a lot of links at you, but hopefully no, that's okay. with the, uh, <laughs> they the will all website. be, <laughs> They will all be in the show notes. So oh, wherever, yeah, wherever you are listening to this episode, you can just click on episode show notes and they'll bring you to that page where we'll list everything with Liz. And to clarify, Liz, the lab interpretation crash course that you're referring, that's your course, right? Yeah, like that's something that you that. created. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know this because I'm a student in the course, <laughs> Yes. but just for people who may not be yes. familiar with that, tell us a little bit about what that yes. is. Cause I feel like that's like your big signature flagship. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so good. So basically I would open my labs and I, I sound really pompous saying that, but it really is like, like, it's so funny. I'm working with a mentee right now. And like when we first started working together, she was like, Oh, okay. I was like, no, no, no. Like, like you have the access to the course, like all this stuff. And then like afterwards she was like, Oh my God, <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much for making this. Um, anyway, anyway, sorry. I'm just obsessed, but it's CBCs, CMPs, urinalysis, TSH, lipids, and then I have a brand new endocrine module as well. It's basically all of the main labs in primary care. So when I used to like open up my labs and kind of like we have like a calcium of 10.9 and then I'd be like, okay, like what do I do for that? And like Google on up to or Google on up to date. Um, just look on up to date and read all about it. And basically it's just like all condensed information for people. And it's got like all the handouts and cheat sheets and all this stuff to kind of like help really hit the ground running a little bit faster um, when it comes to lab interpretation. And I am obsessed with making this transition easier. So there's certainly more things coming, but that's all I have for right now. Well, don't say that's all you have. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's great. I I really think that it's like the ultimate fast track option. I mean, it's, you could certainly learn everything that you include in there on your own if you wanted to spend what, like a hundred hours, a hundred like hours, literally yeah. hundred hours for the first one, just reading, just reading and research, not even putting it together, not recording, not editing. No, right. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's pretty mind blowing. So yeah, it's good stuff. Well, I feel like there's so much more that we could talk about surrounding. Oh my God, we could talk forever. And, support, <laughs> um, and just know that even though we're not always recording podcast episodes, we're usually talking about this topic every day. Yeah. But you, um, oh, and on Instagram, people can follow you too, yes. right? At Real, at Real World NP. I feel like yeah. that's where you, other than like your weekly videos on YouTube, I feel like that's where I you hang out the most for socially. Sure. So people can connect with you. Well, thank you for formally having this chat yeah. with me. It was super fun. Oh, well, so fun. Maybe we should, we'll do it. We should have like a show every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If you're listening and you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and a review. Specifically, you can like request Liz and maybe I will bring her back for another yes. episode. Maybe like a regularly occurring segment. <laughs> oh, that'd be so fun. <laughs> so fun. Thanks, Liz. Thank you so much. Well, that does it for today. 
Thank you so much for tuning in and making it all the way to the end. If you found today's episode helpful, would you take a minute and give me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts? It will truly help other nurses find this show and know that it's worth listening to. For more information about this episode, as well as a place to submit your questions or suggestions for future episodes or guests, head to nursebecoming.com. I cannot wait to connect with you again soon. And until next time, remember, I am always rooting for you.